Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you The Higher Edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldridge. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm Brendan Aldrich, and I'm here today with Karen Monroe, founder and president of Monarch Strategies, an organization that's providing expert consulting for higher ed institutions and also organizational leadership development. So Kara was also provost and senior vice president for Ivy Tech, which I've often called the largest community college you've probably never heard of. Ivy Tech is actually the statewide community college in Indiana and one of the largest colleges in the country. Kara is a great friend and a brilliant educator. And I'm so thrilled to welcome her onto the show. Kara, welcome. Thanks so much, Brendan. I'm really happy to be here. Many people know that the provost is the senior academic official within a college or university and is sometimes referred to as the chief academic officer, uh, literally the second most senior officer after the president or the chancellor. Uh, As a former provost for a large institution, I'm hoping you'll share a little bit of your journey. Sure. One of the questions that I actually got used to answering as a provost is, what is a provost? (laughs) And I always like to start there before I go into my journey, because the origin of the word provost is actually, it's from British, and it's a warden in a prison, which I always think is interesting that that's what we decided to adopt as the chief academic officer (laughs) of colleges and universities. But that is its part of its origin story. As for me and my origin story, I knew I always wanted to be in education. I played school as a little kid. I would bring anybody into my games of school that I could, from my much older siblings to my friends to my stuffed animals. It was never a question of what I was going to be when I grew up, at least as a professional. When I went to college, I was not sure what I was going to teach. I was a gifted and talented kid. I could do a lot of things at least passably well and liked to do a lot of things. I had done journalism, writing, math, science, music, all of those sorts of things. And my older sister, who was 14 years older than me and in a lot of ways sort of a second parent to me when when there's that much of an age difference, she was a music educator and she she lost her job. And it was at that point that I I realized something about myself, which is that I wanted to always be able to stand on my own two feet. I didn't want to have to rely on another person for my survival and my ability to thrive in the world. And I could sort of see what was happening to arts education in this country. And so while I was a music major for one semester, my little Polly Shore moment, I actually switched over and became a mathematics major. I was taking calculus at the time um, because I enjoyed it, because I am sick like that. Got my degree in that from Ball State University, as well as an endorsement in computer science. And then when I went to Lakeland, Florida, where I got my first teaching job, I was recruited down there as a mathematics educator. Um, I taught for a year and a half in high school mathematics and was able to, because the band director there was just a, became a good friend, I was actually able to do some work with the music program in addition to being a teacher in the mathematics department. Came back to Deanna, got a job at Ivy Tech at their Richmond campus, which was one of the smaller campuses on the east side of the state. 
and started their online learning program. It was a brand new position at the college, and I got to grow up professionally and personally with those people. That many of them are still uh, friends. A few of them are f- actual family. I earned my MBA and my doctorate. And while I was doing my doctorate, I also changed roles to the final role that I had on that campus, which was the executive director of finance and facilities. And we added IT to that at my request because I had been doing IT work for quite a long time at that point. And one of my favorite stories to tell, one of those sort of defining moments in my career We'd been doing this massive $28 million two-phase construction project. We were finishing up the first phase, which was the building of a brand new building. And that was about $19 million of the $28 million project, if I remember correctly. Everything had gone wrong on this project. There was a structural error. There were um, budget, some budget issues. We never went over budget, but we had to, we had to do a lot of work to figure out how things went in the budget. And then uh, just the timeline got completely destroyed because of that architectural issue. So we were moving in in the spring semester, and I was defending my dissertation in early December. And so at that point, we were putting in all the last of the technology. And I challenged the team. I said, I'm going to defend my dissertation from this building. So about an hour before I was had the call to defend my dissertation, they got me one working phone line and one working internet connection in the building so that I could defend my dissertation. So I sat on the floor with a cardboard box in front of me with my laptop on on top of it with one phone, one actual programmed phone sitting beside me. And that is where I defended my dissertation from. It's certainly a, a moment that's memorable to me. One of the beautiful and difficult things about community college in Indiana is that Ivy Tech is a singly accredited statewide community college. And so if you wanna work at community college in Indiana, with the exception of Vincennes University, a wonderful two-year and four-year school in the southern part of the state, you you work at Ivy Tech. And so you move around from campus to campus or you move to the system office. That's how you can move through the system. And so there were very few places in the state I wanted to live. Indianapolis was one of them. And so I got a job at our system office. Moved there to take over their Center for Instructional Technology, a, a new role. I have a a bit of a history of creating roles rather than moving into existing new roles. I create most of them. And over the last uh, several years, that role morphed into uh, becoming the central hub for online learning at the college. It's one of the largest online learning programs in the country. Um, and I've worked in that, I worked in that program for probably 18 of my 23 years at the college. And so then uh Four years ago now, I became their provost, and I served in that role for three years. You know, it's so funny when you talk about creating uh, roles. And it's not uncommon, I think, when you're, when you're really very good at what you do, that either the role gets created for you or the role by the time you move on looks very different from the one that you were actually hired for. I think that's true when you're really good at what you do. And I think another characteristic that I bring that also generates that is I'm a bridge builder. I speak the language of academia and the language of technology. And so I could serve as a bridge between those two. And so that allowed me to move into, into the gaps where new and innovative things can be done. Well, and speaking of bridge building, I know I shouldn't be surprised by your combination of math, computer science, and music, especially, well, since I have an arts degree as well. But so often people seem to be surprised that administrators have an arts background. Yeah, you know, arts play so much of a role in my personal history. I was 
on the marching band field for as many years as I possibly could. I, I was drawn to the the camaraderie and the teamwork of that. I was never into athletics. I was always into the sort of team-based arts types of activities, but also the independent activities, the reflective nature of writing, the communication skills you learn in cooperative arts and things. They're so valuable, those, you know, the so-called soft skills or the employability skills or, or whatever word you want to define them. The words of learning how to be a a good human being and to work with other good human beings, a lot of that comes from the arts. And so as I, as I look at what happens to education around the country and we take this turn towards workforce-based education, which again, my realization as an undergrad was I wanted to be able to take care of myself. It didn't mean I didn't want to get married or have a partner in life, but I always wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet as well. And so I realized I had to have a career, but I knew I also had to have a well-rounded set of skills, and many of those came from the arts. Hey, for everyone listening, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just one minute. All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions give institutions of higher education some real life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is education empowered. Thanks so much for listening to our sponsor. Let's get back to the show. So let me ask you, I know the provost role, because it's such a senior and influential role within an institution, what I feel like that means is that a lot of your own experience and background ends up driving the way that you approach that position. I wonder if, if you could expand on that just a little bit on, you know, what is the role of the provost really and how do you really address that? Provosts typically come from the full-time faculty. I was different in that regard. I had never served as a full-time faculty member, although I've been a faculty member and a teacher. Again, since I was a little kid, I always looked for opportunities to teach other people things. And in a lot of ways, what I do at Monarch Strategies is about teaching people how to do things and, and to improve what they are doing and to, to learn how to teach themselves the things they want to do to improve their lives. In a lot of institutions, you might see the president come from the business world, but the provost does keep that focus on academic affairs um, and the unique decisions that have to be made in an academic environment, which aren't applicable in other business environments and places like that. When I look at my colleagues across the country who have this role, it ranges everywhere from those who have responsibility only for core academic functions, teaching and learning in the classroom, and the, the direct support of that, to the role that I had at Ivy Tech, 
which was the entirety of the student experience from that student who is sitting, whether it's in their high school classroom or who is standing on the assembly line in an automated manufacturing facility, who goes, I want something else in my life. And they believe that college is the way to go back to get that. I had responsibility for for that student from that second, that second of realization in their life, all the way through their application process, their enrollment process, their registration process, their advising process to get them into the right career field, to help them identify what it was they wanted to do in college, to build their academic plan, to the classroom, to all of those support functions that wrapped around that all the way out the other side to graduation. Um, Where I sort of handed them off to somebody else was at alumni relations that went to the foundation. Although I would have kept that too if if somebody would have let me because they're still still my students. Um, I'm very uh, possessive of my students. I care very deeply about them, whether whether they're sitting in front of me in a classroom of 30 of my own students or whether there are 65 to 70,000 of them spread across the state in classrooms of all shapes and sizes and colors and and types. Uh, I, I take it all personally. It's all very important to me. Well, it's something that you mentioned that a lot of people may not realize is when you talk about starting even with the student that's in their desk in high school, that in Indiana and with Ivy Tech specifically, those uh, dual credit and dual enrolled students, that there are a lot of them. Uh, when I was in Chicago at City College yes. in Chicago, there were maybe a few thousand uh, dual enrolled or, or dual credit students, but there were tens of thousands of those students with Ivy Tech. I think when I left the position, there were about 30,000 of them. So uh, almost half of the enrollment by student headcount was high school students, not by credit hours. Enrollment is not a simple thing to define because it can get counted in a lot of ways. But about half of our student headcount was dual credit students. And I'm very passionate about that because dual credit does so many things that taking a college class while you're in high school from that student who is the gifted and talented student who, like I was, who says, well, if I can knock out a year or more of my college credits at no or next to no cost, if you're doing it through Ivy Tech and now through Indiana University in, in Indiana, you can do that at no cost. I can get a year of my college education done while I'm in high school. I can get credit for both my high school and my college that opens up so many more possibilities while you're in college and you could still graduate in four years. And so as we look at the cost of college, that part is amazing. But then I also think about that that technical student who is like, I don't have the money, the resources, or the time to delay my earnings to go on to a college experience. And they want to move straight from high school into the workforce Ivy Tech or other colleges around the country with their career programs can get that student a certificate or even a two-year degree that can lead them to valuable employment for the rest of their lives, or at least start them on the right path to that and allow them to start earning immediately, which is so critical in today's economy. Which is moving us out of the role of the provost, and, and I feel like we're now getting into the mission of the provost. So how, how, what was the mm-hmm. mission for you? And, and how did you drive that mission forward? That last answer is one of the things that's most important to me. It is meeting a student where they are and helping them customize their educational journey to make the best use of their time and their resources. I abhor student debt. I hate it on so many levels. 
because I've seen so many kids and so many families make choices that are not based in their long-term best interest. And so if I can do something to help someone reduce the time or the money that they are spending getting through the educational journey to the point where they can start to realize their goals, the, the financial aspect of how they're going to meet those goals, that's what I want to do. And so that comes in the form of expanding dual credit offerings, in the form of trying to launch competency-based education programs that are mastery-based rather than time-based, um, and trying to make sure that all of our processes that support students in the, let's be honest, the very confusing journey that can be college, particularly if you're a first-generation college student and no one else in your family understands this language and this map and this process, the advising process, the career process, all of those things to help a student navigate that process as quickly and as efficiently as possible and also have fun and enjoy it and be a good educated citizen and all of that stuff. I can be an academic-y academic all day long and talk about the importance of an educated citizenry and those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, I want to help you meet your dreams. And I want to help you get the education you need to do in the most efficient and effective way possible for you to get you out to that dream as fast as possible. Which is now exactly what you're doing uh, after your provost role with Monarch Strategies. You are now taking all of that experience working at such a large institution and now really pushing that out into the rest of higher education. So I'm doing a lot of coaching work and I'm doing a lot of creative problem solving work to help both individuals. The coaching side of thing is a little bit more individual based, although I do team and group coaching as well, um, as well as the creative problem solving aspect. So Really figuring out what is the problem that you're trying to address? What is the dream you want to do? What is the thing you're trying to get to? What is the action you're trying to take? And breaking it down into its parts and helping you figure out a plan forward. We can all do the easy stuff. Um, and I think about this like, like choosing paint color for a room. Choosing paint color for a room can feel like an overwhelming task if you have never done it. And I'm sitting here in a room with white walls behind me, but right in front of me, there's this bright orange wall. You can't see that on the screen, but uh, right on the, on the, in the front, it's bright orange wall. And it can feel overwhelming, but it's not. There is a, there is a decision point. There aren't a mostly limited number of choices. It feels unlimited, but you could do that. You can solve the easy problems. And, and I am a decisive leader. If there is a decision that needs to be made, in order for us to move forward and no one else will make it, I will make it. That is the kind of leadership that I bring to a situation. But I would prefer that we make that in a collaborative way and we go about it agreeing that we were solving for the right problem at this time, the problem that's going to give us the maximum point of leverage to solve the rest of the issues around us. Because the challenges and the opportunities that we have, they never end. They're always around us. And so that creative problem-solving aspect of what I do is a tremendous amount of fun uh, with organizations of all types. I know there can sometimes, it can be seen that there is a lot of conflict between, say, traditional education and certificates or micro-credentials and badging. And I know you and I were talking recently, and I really loved one of the stories you told about, you know, building your business and gaining some additional skills, that it's really not one or the other, but really about how you use both of these in different ways. As I have become a new business owner, I'm everything from the CEO and founder, which sounds very fancy and very exciting, to the janitor. 
Um, and I, again, no for the audio, you cannot see what's above me, but actually right over my head here, there is a smoke detector that I had to replace uh, because at two o'clock in the morning, it was beeping incessantly. And I finally figured out which of the interconnected smoke detectors in my house were, inter were beeping. And so I've ordered its replacement and I'm waiting for it so that I can put it back on and put it in there. So that's my job too. I'm the maintenance person as well. Now, that is a job I've done many times before I know how to do it. But even though I hold an MBA, accounting itself, business accounting was new to me. And so I had to go onto LinkedIn Learning and find a class in a basic class in accounting and a basic class in QuickBooks. Uh, although I use Wave apps, it's a wonderful, I'm not an affiliate or I don't get any promotion, but I love the tool. It's free for small business owners. So I love to share that. LinkedIn Learning is a great tool for trying to find those educational resources that you need for that just-in-time education, as is your local community college, as is your local college, as is your library. I'm a big fan of libraries. There are probably 20 books sitting out in my sunroom ready for me to read on those new skills. So I never get to stop learning, and I don't think anybody does. And it's amazing to see. I was talking to my phlebotomist yesterday because I was getting my blood drawn for my annual checkup. She originally did, she said it was a it was a about a 20-week short course in phlebotomy, and then followed by um, 15 weeks of on-the-job training. And she's gone back to school every couple of years and taken another class here and there, and she's, you know, kept her bloodborne pathogens training up to date and all these sorts of things. And she said, I've always been a learner. That's what I've always done. And while her job seems mostly simple, it's just drawing blood from a person. She's like, and I also love cooking classes. Have you ever taken a cooking class? We had a lovely conversation about that. So whether it's exploring your passions or gaining the skills that you need to move forward in your life with a dream, education is the key to that. As you were describing the cooking, I was remembering my wife and I, we've done these meal kit programs for about three years now. Uh -huh. And we do three meals a week from them. And there's all these different recipes. And we were literally just talking the other day about how much we've learned about cooking just by doing. It was very kind of a, a polytechnic approach to, you know, learning how to do some things that yep. are, in some cases, you think of as very simple. But until you do them, until you learn, you, you just don't know. I was just writing, a, an, artic writing an article about the value of journaling in the learning process. And one of the things that I keep is a recipe journal. And there are notes all over that journal about the different types of recipes and different things I experimented with. Some worked, some didn't. Um, now that's digital. So there are pictures of different versions of recipes. And I find that such, even that self-learning to be such a valuable process as I continue to grow as a human being. And that's the kind of thing that I try to bring to my coaching practice. So as I work with individuals from college presidents to early career seekers, particularly I like to focus on females um, just because there are challenges that come up when you're a female that don't come up for, for males. Um, just as there are challenges for males that don't come up for females, I, I love working with folks in that process and trying to help them navigate those journeys. Which is a, a key focus of what you're doing with Monarch Strategies. We've talked about, you mentioned, uh, not just working with and coaching uh, women, but also underrepresented uh, groups as well. As you're continuing that work and moving forward with Monarch Strategy, what's your key focus as you want to take a look at where we're going? What is the next stage of higher education? One of my big areas of focus is on freedom. That's one of my personal core values. And it's one of the reasons why I founded Monarch Strategies in 2022. I want to work with 
with clients on projects that bring me a lot of passion, bring them a lot of passion. And so as I look at higher education, I also think higher education needs additional freedom. It needs freedom to expand into other areas. Competency-based education is a perfect example. I could tell you, if you want to hear them, feel free to reach out. I know we'll give my contact information at the end of the episode. We went on a multi-year journey to launch a single competency-based education program. And when you think about what we hear from the workforce, they tell us they need, they tell us they need more high-skilled workers, more quickly, more readily, and able to learn. There's no better methodology for enabling that than competency-based education. But when you look at the way, the, the structure in which higher education works today with federal financial aid regulations and accreditation processes and institutional processes and policies that are, for public institutions at least, shorn up by state legislatures. You look at that sort of trapezoidal, triangular thing, it's a mess. It is a mess of regulation and policies that are not actually helping us to enable what the workplace demands. And when you look at voter needs, what voters want is a strong economy. And I, you know, you and I both live in Indiana. That doesn't seem to be what our state legislature is focused on in this session. I look at the federal legislature right now, it, and in, it doesn't matter party. It doesn't matter which party you're on. They're not focused on that. They're focused on all of these other issues. We need reforms in the, in the form of opportunities for institutions to do better work in areas that let them explore things. And I understand we need to do it safely. I don't want to see the kinds of abuses of the federal financial aid system that we saw under some of the proprietary institutions and those sorts of things. But I also want to see institutions who are able to flex and move more quickly so that students can get to what they want easier. Care, love where you're going with that. I'm wondering, are there steps or, or groups that you're getting involved with that are starting to really look at and try to tackle some of those, whether it's at the state or the federal level? I have long been a peer corps member with the Higher Learning Commission. So I work within that group, not really taking steps to try to necessarily influence their policies, but on the ground level, you have a lot of control. And so when I chair committees for them, I always come in with the idea that the college or the institution that I'm working with is going to succeed at whatever it is that I'm there to review them with. And I want to help them make sure that they're prepared to do that and they're able to do that. Sometimes you can't, but most of the time, what they lack is the, especially when you talk about truly small rural institutions that are just fighting for their livelihood, quite honestly, they don't have the ability to have, as we did at Ivy Tech, such a large institution. At one time, I think we had 22 peer corps members on our staff. We knew how to write an accreditation document. We knew how to put the evidence together. Um, we still didn't do it perfectly, but we knew how. Where these smaller institutions, they don't have that. So at least as a team member, I go in saying, I'm going to help you. We're going to get through this together. If there's something you don't have, I'm going to ask you for it. I'm going to be very clear. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to give you that. All the way up to, I've done a lot of work with um, my colleagues at the Western Commission for Educational Technology, WCET. They're a part of uh, the WICHE, the Western Interstate Commission for Higher Education. I'm on a gold star for remembering all those acronyms <laughs> early in the morning. 
And I've worked with them almost my entire career. I love those folks. Some of the best thought leadership on policy in higher education, particularly in this realm of looking at expanding the role of education, looking at it from the technology side, and even to modern issues today, like what role artificial intelligence is going to play in education. You and I were talking about ChatGPT just as we started this. And I've been doing work with them, particularly in content development, about what does it mean to work with the workforce and what does it mean to um, expand opportunities for students. And so putting a lot of thought leadership out there, which has been fun. Um, And I, I hope to be working with another client. I can't name the client, um, yet, but hope to be working with them soon after we finish the negotiation process on a strategic plan that would set a vision for them to really take a bold step forward in how they are helping institutions across the country lead in these kinds of areas. Exciting. Kara, one of the reasons we call the show The Higher Edge is because I, I love when guests can share a story from your own experience that maybe helped you see something from a different point of view or understand something from a different perspective. I wonder if you might have a story like that from your own experience that you could share with our listeners. Sure. I'm going to share a very personal story, so not necessarily professional, but one of the reasons that I wanted to start my own business, again, leaning into that personal value of freedom, is that I wanted the time to give to the things that mean the most to me. And I have um, had the, the incredibly fortunate experience to work with hospice during the death of my mother and my grandmother. And I wanted to be able to volunteer with them. And so I was able to, um, I, have a, I have a dog named Kona. Part of the reason I had to tell this story was I hadn't mentioned Kona's <laughs> name in an entire interview. And I you know, can't, go, can't go that long without doing that. And uh, we're working with him. I'm working with him to become a therapy dog. And so I was able to work with one of the local hospices here in town to take him on visits to patients in hospice. And one of my favorite patients thus far, we've been doing this for, the, for a little over a year. We actually started before I left Ivy Tech. One of my um, first patients, they were dying of cancer that was just sort of all over their body. As cancer does, it had spread everywhere. But this person was still able to get about, had a motorized uh, scooter that they could navigate all through the area of their residence with and even go outside on sunny days. And the first time that Kona and I walked with this patient outside while they were in their scooter, I said, hey, how about if I brought a ball the next time and Kona will chase the ball and, and bring it back to you? He's great at retrieving. He's like, I would enjoy that very much. So brought a ball the next time. Now I keep one in the cards in case we ever need one. And I watched this gentleman who was dying just play with my dog and just light up. And I watched him have that that inner child experience of playing with an animal that I get the pleasure of almost every day of my life. The work with hospice has done so much to change my views on death and dying. That death is is not an end. It is a beginning of something completely different, a world that none of us understand or know. And, you know, we I seek faith as a way to try to figure that out. But the death is the end for the living, not for the death. And and this work has helped me see that as a completely different way of looking at my life and looking at aging parents, aging siblings, aging other family members and and their illnesses and those sorts of things and to 
have a completely different perspective on those things. Um, so I hope people feel the sense of hope that it actually brings me and can hear that in my voice. But um, if you are ever interested in volunteering with hospice, I'll be happy to talk about that as well. It's a it's a wonderful organization. Great perspective and really applies in many ways to transitions of all kinds, uh, whether you're transitioning yes, it uh, does. in life, as we were discussing, or in career or in any relationship, mm-hmm. so many different ways. Really, really great insight. Thanks, Kara. Hey, yeah. for our listeners, we've been talking to the outstanding Kara Monroe, president and founder of Monarch Strategies and former provost for Ivy Tech Community College of Indiana. Hey, Kara, if listeners would like to reach out to you with questions about today's episode or, or to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to contact you? My website is www.monarchstrategiesllc.com. And my email address is very simple to remember if you can remember that because it's just Kara, K-A-R-A, at monarchstrategiesllc.com. And I believe you also have a blog you publish to fairly regularly? I write a lot on the internet. If you want to know everything that I'm writing, you can subscribe to my newsletter. It does have a slightly different moniker. It's I want to be me, I-W-A-N-N-A, be me when I grow up. Dot substack.com. I want to be me when I grow up. Dot substack.com. Kara, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on and being a guest with us here on The Higher Edge. My pleasure. It was great to talk to you again, Brendan. And for everyone listening, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Higher Edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review if you loved the show, and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning.